Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. Obviously, it's the last week of November, my goodness. And uh, Ben and I have been talking a little bit about this theme of moving forward because I am a planner. I am a typical what you would expect from a lawyer, type A personality, organised, wants to tick things off a list. Um, I have rest and sleep scheduled into my calendar. A reminder pops up at 9pm saying time to rest and a reminder pops up at 10pm saying time to sleep. I feel very organised and in control of my life whenever I see that. Um, And when we got married, uh, anyone that knows Ben will know that he is not an organiser or a planner. Uh, (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And um, I was very excited when we got married that I was going to show him this whole new world of organisation. And so I I trotted off to um, Kiki K, which for those of you who don't know, is an organizer's dream land. They sell every kind of planner. It's all beautifully in the same color code and you know, all the little stickers and things that you don't really need, but makes you feel really good. Um, And so I got a planner that you could put on the kitchen counter and every week you could fill it in and then you could just rip off the top page and start again for the next week. And so, I'd spend my Sunday evenings writing in this planner what we're going to eat, where we're going, who's coming over, what's happening. I feel really good about myself. And Ben did not feel so good. (laughs) He did not enjoy the experience. In fact, he still woke up every morning and would say, so what's today? What are we doing today? I'm like, well, you're going to work you know, just like you do five days a week, um, or we're going to church, or we're doing whatever, and then he'd come home and say, oh, so what's, what's on tonight? And I'm going, look at the planner, look at the planner. And so needless to say, we don't have a planner anymore, and I just <laughs> keep it in my phone, and I know what's happening, and if you ever ask Ben what's happening, he will not be able to tell you. Um, so that's how we go forward. But In the theme moving forward, what that means is that I got really excited because I thought that this theme would be perfect for me. It would be a season where I can come to God with my list of things that I'd like done, you know, please, uh, a bit like Santa, please Santa, I would like these things. Lord, I want this done, this done, this done. And he'd be like, yes, awesome, let's just tick things off the list. Unfortunately, that's not life. And um, a lot of things remain on the list, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that, that tick and flick desperation, can't life just fit so neatly into my planner? And so um, it made me think about that story arc. We've got a picture of it um, here. You know, the simple story arc you learn about in primary school, the way that you write a basic story, and they sort of teach you that every good story has these sort of elements. And so we start at the beginning and we know that we're gonna go through some stuff, but we're also gonna know that we're gonna end somewhere really awesome and really cool. And we have this tendency as humans to want life to look a little bit like that. That it's just gonna start somewhere, go through one or two things that we can sort of handle and end up with this really cool outcome. And unfortunately, that's just not life. Um, the you know, classic example is gaining a bit of that, you know, end of year weight. I don't know about you, but I'm working longer and longer and longer hours as it comes to the end of the year. 
and just about the only exercise I get is walking to the local kebab shop down the road to get my lunch. Um, and so, you know, when things like that happen, you start thinking, okay, I want to do healthy habits or I need to put some things in place. And you might start at the beginning of that story arc and think, okay, well, I need to do something about this. So as humans, what do we do? Well, generally we ask our friends and hear about this amazing class that's just transformational. And, you know, you might um, hop on Google and Google some really great recipes because I'm a very average cook, but Google can teach me to be a chef. And, um, and we might even follow some Instagram inspo, as anyone like that goes and finds some five minute ab videos that get posted every day in the hope that you'll have five minutes to do an ab workout. Never happens for me, good on you if you do it. Um, and so we sort of like think that if I put all these things in place, if I can just cook the recipe and do the ab workout and fit back into those genes, um, I'll get that promotion at work and, you know, because I'm so healthy and looking so good, my marriage is going to be amazing and, you know, all of a sudden my budgeting will just be so easy and I'll get out of debt because I'm just so healthy and just awesome and living my best life and we just sort of fall into this trap, I guess it's a bit of marketing, a bit of human nature, um, that says that if we fix one element of our life or we get on top of something or we have victory in one area, everything's going to be smooth and everything's going to reach the resolution at the same time. And then reality hits and we realize that that's not true. And so I did a little uh, amendment to this image so that you could see a bit about what my life looks like. So let's have a look. Anyone else relate? Any other, you know, every area of your life is going through a, its own little journey and you might be in a different stage of each season. And I say season on purpose, not just because it's Christianese or because it's Christian slang, but because, um, you know, your one story arc might last for a week, but some might last for years. And so I use seasons on purpose to describe all these little elements in life that you're juggling all at once. And so my question in this theme was, what does moving forward look like when you just can't tick something off the list? What does moving forward look like when you're both in the midst of trial in one area of your life, but also celebrating victory in another? What does moving forward look like when it feels like not a lot is moving forward at all? Because that is real life. But I know that we serve a God who isn't stagnant. He never leaves us where he found us. He always um, wants more for us. We know the Bible tells us that the plans that he has for us are wonderful and um, plans to make us prosper and do well. Our God doesn't let a situation stop him. He doesn't let a mountain move his plans. He never leaves us where he found us. So what does it look like to move forward in the midst? And the awesome thing is that as Christians, we actually have somewhere to take these questions. Can I encourage you this morning? If you have questions, you have a God that wants to hear them. You have a church family that wants to walk through that with you. We all have questions and we actually have a really awesome resource called the Bible that we can look at for answers. 
The Bible is more relatable than any Instagram influencer. It's more helpful than any Google result. It's more transformational than any course you can attend. And as Christians, we need to get really, really adamant at the fact that the Bible is there for us at all times, that we're going to prioritize it, that we're going to read it, that we're going to know the stories that are in there, because that's God's word. And when we have a question, that's our safe place to take it. So I thought that um, because the Bible's full of people that are just like you and me, real people, it was, you know, these people actually lived on earth and um, they actually did these things that would spend some time going through four stories in the Bible. I've just picked them out. There's heaps more than that. It's not an exhaustive list. Hopefully to just encourage you to get a thirst for the word of God and to say, you know what, whenever I'm going through something, there's an answer in the word of God that I can find. There's a story that relates to where I'm at um, that can be super encouraging for me. So the first story we begin with is Ananias. Now, we meet Ananias um, in Damascus. It's, he lived in a time where it was actually really dangerous to be a Christian. And the most topical example I could think of was ISIS. And I, I'll just um, uh, summarize or simplify for the sake of time. But we all know that ISIS is a form of religion, Islam, that's quite extreme and it's very specific. And basically, ISIS as a people group believe that if you don't follow their beliefs, then you're wrong and you'll be put in jail, killed, tortured, whatever. Ananias lived in a time where there were a group of Christians who were behaving in this way. They had a very set ideology and belief system and they were, they were going from town to town saying, if you don't believe what we believe, you're wrong and you're going to be punished for it. So can you imagine being Ananias? You're probably still going to work. You're probably still having to feed your family. The Bible tells us that Ananias was really well known in the community. So in the back of his head, he's probably thinking, I'm first on the list when they come to my town. And um, he's probably really worried about his family and friends. Can you imagine what his prayer life looks like? Talking to Jesus or to God and saying, you know, how do I protect my family in this? How should I leave God? Do you want me to stay? What should I do? Looking for direction. And we see God meet him in Acts 9, verses 10 to 19. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue. Ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see him see again. Ananias protested, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priest that gives him license to do the same to us. But the master said, don't argue, go. I've picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. So Ananias went and found the house. 
placed his hands on blind Saul and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me, the same Jesus who you saw on your way here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So no sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got to his feet, was baptized and sat down with them to a hearty meal. Can you imagine? I would be exactly like Ananias. Imagine God tells you, oh, you know those people that really want to hurt you? Can you just like go find them down the street and like chat to them? That'd be awesome. Thanks. Like, wouldn't you also say, are you sure? Did I hear correctly? Am I going a bit loony? But still Ananias obeys. And I love it because he doesn't just obey. He says, brother Saul. He treats him with such compassion. And he baptizes him and spends time with him. All his preconceived notions of who Saul is and what he represents, the danger he represents to Ananias. And yet Ananias still obeys. In the midst, moving forward, involves obedience even when it doesn't make sense. And um, when I was in law school, I really struggled with law school, actually. I didn't enjoy it. I thought, I'll never be a lawyer. This isn't for me. Like, who would do this? Horrible. And uh, in about my third year of law school, I got a job at a law firm in the city. And all of a sudden, everything started clicking. And I just thought, oh, I could do this. You know, I actually really like it. The work's awesome. The people are awesome. I could be a lawyer. And for me, getting that job felt like really clear confirmation from God that this is what I'm meant to be doing. Now, around the same time, we moved to Redcliffe, to City Point Redcliffe, and uh, we got asked by Pastor Sam and Carolina to run the kids' ministry. Now, that didn't make sense <laughs> at all. I was on a clear path, a clear journey. My life was going to make a lot of sense. You've all heard I'm a planner. You know, I was planned out. Next 10 years, pretty obvious. Going to be a lawyer. And all of a sudden, this sort of uh, detour came across our path that really didn't make sense and felt a bit silly, to be honest. And the other thing that you need to know about us is that we were not kids' people. It didn't, you know, Sam's saying, no, no. It didn't make sense. Not only did it not make sense because it wasn't my chosen career path, but it also didn't make sense because of who I was. <laughs> um, I grew up with Pastor Sam in Carolina. Uh, I was around when they had their four children. I never wanted to hold a baby. I didn't babysit. I, <laughs> I would just say, oh no, you keep the baby, very cute, yay, awesome. So <laughs> I was that person. And so to be asked to run kids ministry didn't make sense. But I look back now after we've done that season and there are so many skills and um, internal processes that I use today in the law firm. Honestly, I have conversations probably on a regular basis, like monthly basis with people where I'm going, well, when we ran this team, this is the sort of thing that we did and this might help you navigate that. Really practical skills and I had no idea that that was what God was preparing me for. I had no idea that this weird kids ministry thing that he was asking me to do um, was because he was setting me up for something in law. 
You may not be ticking anything off the list. The solution may not be clear. In fact, you might even feel like God's asking you to walk into another trial. But the question isn't always why. The question should first be, who's asking? Because if God's asking, then our answer is yes. Yes. The second story we're going to look at is the Good Samaritan. Now, the Good Samaritan technically isn't a real person in the Bible, but I really like the story, so I just wanted to include it. But basically, Jesus is telling a story to a group of people about a hypothetical man, and we're going to call him Sam. And we meet Sam on his journey um, through a really dangerous part. It's from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was actually known as the way of blood at that time. And that was because that portion of the road was so dangerous that robbers would wait there and beat you up and take your stuff and leave you for dead. And so if you imagine Sam's on this path, he knows it's dangerous. Um, He's riding a donkey. He's probably trying to get to his motel really quickly. He's probably super hyper alert for danger and I mean, if it was me, I'd probably be thinking about like what I was going to eat for dinner or how good it's going to be to sleep in the motel room. So he's probably got that aim um, ahead. And then he gets interrupted. Luke 10, um, 33 tells us, a Samaritan who we've named Sam, traveling the road, came on an injured man. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill and I'll pay you on my way back. Now, Sam seems like a pretty good guy. Hey, seems like a nice thing to do. Go out of your way, help an injured man. But the really interesting thing about this story is that Sam is a Samaritan and the injured man is a Jew and they shouldn't get along. And I, you know, to try and put the um, context in place, I couldn't even think of a relevant example for us in Australia about how much it didn't make sense that Sam the Samaritan was helping this injured Jew. And to put it in perspective, the kinds of things Sam was... probably thinking was, why do I even care about him? Why? Also, uh, if I take this injured guy, they're all going to think I was the one beating him up. You know, that's the cultural presumption. You guys shouldn't be together. What have you done? This is weird. And the other thing about this story is that it cost Sam to help him. It really cost him. He had to deal with his gross wounds. I mean, ooh. He had to pay money to help him. He had to slow down his journey, take a full detour in the most dangerous part of the road, being you know, available for robbers and people to bash up and stuff. He had to go slowly. I'm sure he had somewhere to go. It says that he had to come back on his way back through. And he took that detour anyway. In the midst, moving forward might feel like taking a detour. It might be an inconvenience and it might cost you something. But here we see Sam being used as the example of how we should love. Very powerful. And the other thing that's shocking about this is that Jesus actually mentioned two other men on the road. And that was a priest and a Levite, both Jews, both 
who should have stopped to help, and they didn't. Martin Luther King puts it like this. Uh, Junior, sorry. Martin Luther King Jr. puts it like this. Okay, so as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as a setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. And you know, it's possible that the priest and Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, lure them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked and the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Even in the midst, it's not all about me. Even when I'm dealing with my pain, my hurt, my battle, it's not all about me. In the midst, moving forward might feel like taking a detour. It's likely to cost you something and it's likely to be an inconvenience. And our third story this morning is Moses. Now Moses has a huge story. I can't really summarize it for you. You should definitely read it in the Bible. Um, But we're going to meet Moses this morning in a desert. And basically, Moses is helping out with the family business. He's um, helping out with his father-in-law's business, which is um, tending to sheep and cattle and things like that. And God meets him in the desert and has a chat. And we know quite a bit about Moses by this point. We know that he was actually born an Israelite, which were the slaves of Egypt at the time. But he grew up in Pharaoh's palace as an Egyptian prince, technically. And can you imagine what that did with his identity? So he was obviously looked like an Israelite. He probably, it was probably pretty obvious to a lot of people in the palace that he didn't belong. And yet there he was raised by Pharaoh, even though he was actually the son of slaves. Super confusing, super big identity issues. So he's adopted. We also know that he has a temper um, we see throughout the Bible, the document, uh, the Bible documents his temper. In fact, he gets into such a rage that he murders a man. And that's what causes him to flee from Egypt into the desert in the first place. And so he's ashamed. He, runs, he has run away from his problems. And we also know that he has a lisp. And he feels quite inadequate because of that physical impediment. And so God... In this place, in the desert, whilst Moses is minding his own business and doing, you know, just doing the right thing, helping his father-in-law, God tells Moses that he wants Moses to go back to Egypt and help free the Israelites. Can you imagine the internal conflict? I want you to go back to your adoptive family and tell them to release your birth family as their slaves. Full on. And we see Moses' response. In Exodus 3.11, Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Exodus 4.1, Moses objected. They won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say, God, appear to him? Hardly. Exodus 4.10, 
Moses raises another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words. And this is my favorite part. Neither before or after you spoke to me. He's basically saying, you didn't even bother healing me before you're sending me on this, on this journey. I stutter and stammer. Exodus 4.13, oh master, please send somebody else. <laughs> Does that sound like anyone here? I've, I've had those conversations with God 100%. Please, why me? I don't want to do it. In the midst of your mundane, you better believe God has some pretty exciting plans. You are not going to be left in your mundane, boring role. Let me tell you, God always has something exciting, unusual in store. And yet here is Moses throwing everything he can at God, the God of the universe. Imagine saying to God, oh, I, I couldn't be possible. It couldn't be possible. I'm too much of a hindrance on you, God of the universe. In the midst, moving forward means laying down your excuses. And to put this in a really practical level, because not all of us are being asked to, you know, rescue slaves. Um, when I was a junior lawyer, obviously you get thrown into the deep end. You get admitted, you're very excited, you know, gung-ho, and you're called a baby lawyer. And basically the baby lawyers get chucked everything in the firm that no one else wants. Um, and so you turn up for work and you're like, they're like, okay, off you go to court, you got some crim matter to deal with, or you got some, you know, drink driving, or all the matters that everyone's like, oh, well, you go deal with that, that's fine. You go sit in court for the day and wait for the magistrate to finally be ready to hear the matter. And, um, and so obviously you're feeling really out of your depth. Um, all of a sudden, all this knowledge you've acquired has to instantly turn into practical confidence and you have to march your way in and pretend like you know exactly what's going on. And um, it would have been pretty sad if I had just turned around to my boss and said, oh no, sorry, I can't do that, I'm not confident enough, or oh no, I can't do that, I don't know enough. Um, I would still be that inexperienced lawyer yeah. if I let my excuses take me out. But instead, in order to move forward, I had to let go of those, even though it was very hard. <laughs> and now I get to look back and go at the other baby lawyers that are in the firm and go, ha ha, I know what you're feeling. I know exactly what it's like. And you'll get through it and you'll be better for it and it'll be absolutely fine. And so just like I didn't uh, stay that junior inexperienced baby lawyer, Moses didn't stay this um, you know, struggling leader. In fact, he went on to be this type of prime minister for the Israelites, and he actually was a leader for them for many, many years. Imagine if Moses had just clung on to his excuses, his past, his inadequacies, and said, you know what, God, my life is super comfortable and mundane. I've finally made it to the, to the family business. I've finally made it to the desert. I'm comfortable here. I don't want to go back. Just leave me be. So often, moving forward literally looks like moving past your own judgments of yourself. Isn't that sometimes our biggest thing? Our own judgments of ourself, our judgments of our past, of the limitations on our future. And we have this God that's standing there saying, come on, I'm excited for you. I've got plans for you. I want to move forward with you. And we're going, oh, no, but do you know me? You're aware of this, the limitations here. 
Moving forward involves choosing to believe the unbelievable, that we have a God who has crazy, huge, amazing plans for us. And the last story for us this morning is Joseph. Again, he has a huge story and you really should read it for yourselves, but I'll give you his highlight reel. Highlight and lowlights, I should say. So he's a favorite child and his siblings hate him for it. They hate him so much that they send him off and he ends up being a slave in um, Egypt and he ends up working his way up in this really wealthy man's house and he's very, a very trusted employee. And then again, through no fault of his own, he gets put in jail. He gets set up for something he didn't do and he gets stuck in jail. So he's gone, you know, slave, worked his way up, now he's back in jail and yet still in jail, somehow he becomes this trusted confidant for the other inmates and he becomes well-respected within the jail, and he ends up back in Pharaoh's palace. In fact, he's so trusted by Pharaoh. This is a slave that's been in jail. So trusted by Pharaoh himself that he ends up second in charge of all of Egypt. And he finds himself in a position of so much responsibility and influence and power that he's actually able to help his family in a really sticky situation of famine where no one has enough to eat, and he's able to feed his family, the very people that sent him off to Egypt in the first place. And so Joseph's journey again and again looks like up and downs, crazy story arc, crazy situations where he had very little control over what was happening. And yet again and again, we see that Joseph was the trusted person. He was loyal, he was a confidant for people. They placed a lot of responsibility on him, they respected him. And that says to me that yes, his overall story arc might've been up, down, up, down, but he must've been a pretty consistent person. He must've been very consistent in being loyal and being trustworthy and making good choices and turning up for the job every day because he exhibited such godly fruit and he had such favour throughout every season of his life, no matter what it looked like. It didn't matter the situation or season, Joseph's life produced good fruit. And the Bible is so clear about us as Christians producing fruit. Galatians 5:22 says, what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard things like affection for others, exuberance about life and serenity. We de develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And you'll know this version. By the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, Matthew 7 says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The metaphor of bearing fruit is so powerful because it's the idea that the plant is known by the fruit it bears. And so I wonder in the midst of your journey, what are you known for? Sometimes the most powerful moving forward we can do as Christians is to not move and actually spend some time with the Holy Trinity. That can be the most powerful way to move forward in your season. Imagine patience in the midst of the trial, self-control in the midst of frustration, holding peace in the midst of the unknown. That is the greatest testimony of Christ, that we would be uh, lights to our world just by the fruit that we bear, be known for our fruit. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So some key takeaways for you this morning. Moving forward involves obedience even when it doesn't make sense. It can feel like taking a detour. It's likely to cost you something. It might even be an inconvenience. In the midst, moving forward means laying down your excuses. And it also means spending time with the Holy Trinity and growing fruit. And the best part about this, and I hope you catch this this morning, is that this is not an exhaustive list. This is not a final list. It's not something that that's it. We tick our boxes and it's all done. Actually, the Bible is full of stories, full of keys for us to take away that in the midst of our journey, we can turn to the Word of God and see how they lived and the way that they lived with God and did these extraordinary things. The best part of the Bible is that it's full of ordinary people who do extraordinary things because of our extraordinary God. So be encouraged this morning. And I really pray that if anything from this message, you get a little bit of a hunger for the Word of God and that you go home and actually read some of these stories and find some more and tell me about them as well. Um, Because that's what the Word of God's there for. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message empowers you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We would love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We're so excited to see you there.